This is a podcast version of a radio show by K103 Gothenburg Student Radio. Find us at k103.se. Due to copyright, the music is shortened. Let's go. Yes, welcome ladies and gentlemen, it's Ordinary Observation Time, Ordinary Observation with Jack and Mark, and we're here this week to talk about the Netherlands. Yeah, what's next from the crack pipe of truth? Yeah, it's time to talk about the Dutch history, craziest moments. Bad Dutch behavior. Um, I think a quick apology for missing out last week there, that was that one's on me. Yeah, that's your fault. Yeah, we had a nice game of rugby against uh, His Royal Majesty, the... The Navy. The Navy, yeah, the Royal Navy. And um, I went out with them afterwards, and I was in no state on Monday afternoon. <laughs> <To> think. <laughs> yeah, so that was um, <clears throat> that was a tough day for me. Yeah, so this episode we decided um, two weeks ago now that uh, we 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 did insult a fair few nations. So yeah, we insulted Turkey. Yeah, and Germ- Germany by proxy, sort of Germany as well. North Korea for sure. North. Yeah, well, I mean, they're yeah. not listening, so yeah, they deserve. <laughs> they, they can't listen to this. So now it's time to just force it all on one nation, the Dutch. Yeah. They had it coming. Yeah. They had it coming. But yeah, yeah, so we're going to pick apart some of our favorite aspects of Dutch history. The funny stuff, the weird stuff, the extremely horrible stuff. The out there kind of characters. Yeah, and just uh, have a look. Yeah, right. Quick shout out first. Shout out time. Shout out time. Shout out Jelly Bean. Long time listener. Shout out Jelly Bean. Also shout out Jelly Wobblers. Yeah. Uh, big. A fan of Amsterdam Big Big Amsterdam kind of guy. Yeah. So Shout out Pierre Eric. Long time listener. Shout out Pierre Eric. Anybody else? Uh, shout out Ryan, our Dutch correspondent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you can you can send us a message on fucking Spotify. <laughs> yeah, and you'll get a shout out next week. So yeah, there we exactly. go. You know What's what up do. first then? Yeah. So first up, we head back in time to uh, 1625 to the golden age of the Dutch Empire. Oh, the golden age. Yeah, man, the golden age as a as a as a name goes pretty good. It does go particularly hard. Right. So we're going to be discussing Johan de Witt. He was um, a prime minister of the Netherlands, and uh, he lived a pretty interesting life and had a fairly horrible end. <laughs> was he a prime minister back in those days? Did they have some other... Yeah, so basically he was born in 1625 in the Netherlands, okay. and his father was um, a, the mayor of um, the town that they lived in. Mm. And um, Johan de Witt followed in his father's footsteps and became ruler of the Netherlands, prime minister. I don't know what they called it, but it, prime minister... Something. Yeah. One of those fucking... Names. Yeah. <laughs> he, was, he was in charge of yeah. things. He okay. ran the show. Okay. Yeah. So, David was uh, controlling the Netherlands during what's known as the Dutch Golden Age. The Golden Age. A time when the Dutch Empire was one of the greatest powers in Europe. The Golden Age. And Amsterdam was at the center of world trade, and the Dutch East India Company dominated Asian trade routes that made the nation very wealthy. Did the Dutch East India, did they get involved in a bit of slavery? Yeah. Yeah? And quite a lot of uh, drug trafficking, I think, as well. Oh, a bit of opium. Okay. Yeah. Right. They were like the greatest company in history, right? Yeah, they're the richest company When I say greatest, I mean, I mean richest. by profit, not by morals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I think they were also the first company ever listed on some kind of stock exchange. Too. Okay. Yeah. But if you look at, like, if you compare their... Like assets or whatever. Yeah, whatever whatever they were worth back then to, to whatever Apple is worth now. It's, it's bigger. They're still like three times as big or yeah, something. Yeah. They were stupid big. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, Johan was in charge of uh, the, the Netherlands at this point, and uh, he uh, was re-elected three times. Good for him. And, uh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> good job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, 
you got to think back. We scan back to the 1600s. So there's a lot of tension and war around Europe, specifically between the Dutch and the English and the French at that time, mm. who were in maritime competition with each other because those who ruled the seas ruled all the money. Yeah. And that was very important for two very small countries like those two. And the tensions between the two nations escalated to the point of war in 1665. But Johan Witt managed to maintain control of the seas. But in 1672, things wouldn't work out so well. There was political chaos that caught up with the Dutch Republic Mm. when the then King of France, Louis XIV, declared war on the Dutch. Mm. So... My understanding was that he'd pumped all the cash into the navy. Yeah, and had basically no money for war. Yeah, so all that the, was on land. All the rich people, <laughs> all the rich Dutch people, were making money by shipping shit around the yeah. seas. Yeah, so, I mean, they still are. Port of Rotterdam is massive. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but so they were like investing heavily in the navy, not yeah. really considering sort of land-based threats. Yeah, exactly. So the uh, the Dutch. Franco-Dutch war was a big disaster for the Dutch and as both England and France attacked at the exact same time too Mm. and um, so they were able to effortlessly invade the Dutch Republic (laughs) so while the the Dutch Navy was strong the army had been largely overlooked because they never thought that France would attack them France they were wrong they were wrong can't trust the French Mm -hmm. anyway (laughs) (laughs) so they suffered defeat and Johann de Witt's power collapsed then yeah he was then, yeah, so his power collapsed and then there was a lot of tension and a lot of um, problems for but him. how long had he been in power by this point? Like some time, eh? Yeah, he'd been in power for a good, what, a good 20 years or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he was like close to 50 by this point. Yeah. yeah. But um, I think if we head over to our Dutch correspondent, he has a good explanation of what went wrong for him. So my thoughts on Johan de Witt... I must admit that I don't have an extremely strong opinion about Johan de Witt. I do know that he was a very powerful figure, obviously. He was de facto ruling the Netherlands for like 20 years or more. This was a time where Netherlands basically switched between republic and uh, a monarchy once or twice. Um, and he was not part of the monarchy. So he was he was a, st- uh, um, a stadthouder. So he was the, uh, yeah, the the. the st- city statesman basically but it was the most powerful figure at that time in the Netherlands Uh, everything went well as often with leaders until they did not I think it was a simultaneous war from the French and the English that proved too much for the Netherlands and for De Witt's forces and he obviously lost that uh, losing battle Um, I think he got injured or something of the sort and um, he was forced to abdicate. I think he even had to go to prison. He was tortured into a confession. I don't think he actually confessed, but he uh, he was at, at least definitely tortured and he had to go on exile, something like that. Then uh, he was on his way to exile or to prison, something like that. And then a bunch of uh, like, like uh, a mob basically that follows the family of Orange. So, you know, the monarchy in the Netherlands was the family of Orange. And uh, they basically stopped him, killed him, and then ate his liver, apparently, specifically his liver. Maybe they had seen some things of liver king or the uh, nutrients that are in livers, but I don't know why specifically the liver, but apparently that's what they ate. And they did it in a very systemic manner, uh, apparently, manner, apparently. That's uh, what's known, but it's also a, a thing with a lot of, I don't know, it's a bit vague. Uh, when I was reading the textbooks about um, Johan de Witt when I was younger, I don't remember the eating part being in there. But yeah, what would he taste like? Poof. 
Well, if they ate him raw, I don't know. It tastes like raw liver, uh, like anyone's raw liver, I guess. I mean, he was rich, he was powerful, he had a good, probably a good um, uh, diet. So I guess uh, he had a lot of nutrients in his liver. So maybe it was very nutritious for the mob to, to eat his liver. That's the only theory I can come up with. And taste-wise, I don't know, actually. Yeah, that was good. Good stuff from Rein, our Dutch correspondent. Shout out again. Shout out. And yeah, so Johan went to prison to help his brother escape there. Um, no, to prepare for the, his brother's trip to be exiled from the Netherlands. Mm. And as they both departed the prison... Well, wait a sec. Because his brother was like tortured, right? Yeah, yeah. His brother was massive. But, but, but apparently they skipped over this like torturing thing because it happened often in prisons. Yeah. They were tortured. Yeah, but he was a hard ass. Like, he didn't confess. Yeah, he didn't confess anything. Mm. So uh, he was then exiled. Right. Or- and Johan went to see him before he would get exiled. And so as they both departed from, I guess, where he was staying, <laughs> they, they got captured by a militant mob, mm. which shot both of them and then left them to the crowds. So they, they just <laughs> led them to the, the angry Dutch people who were, at this point, had been invaded multiple times, had no money left, mm. had been forced into the army, had forced to fight the French. They, they were, were poor, angry. They were poor to begin with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, the, yeah. So the crowds do what crowds do best, lose all sense of sanity. And um, according to many reports, uh, the, brother, the brothers were stripped naked, mutilated, and had their livers removed and eaten. That's nice. that's disgusting. Oh. Have you ever seen one of these world maps where it's like countries that have eaten their prime minister <laughs> everywhere else? Yeah, Europe, the and Netherlands. Where it's like the one where it's like Australia is because their prime minister shared himself in a McDonald's. <laughs> McDonald's yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah so um, there's also a good painting of their corpses impaled oh. <laughs> upside down on stakes with the torsos cut open so they could get to the, the juicy parts. Yeah, it's a pretty unsettling picture. Yeah. Uh, I imagine being shot. And then stripped naked and left to an angry mob to yeah. mutilate you is a pretty horrible way That's to go. It's probably the worst death you can imagine. Yeah, I mean, I mean, to, to their knowledge, like they surely they were dead before the people were eating their livers. It's assumed, yeah. I guess you could but survive. Confirmed. You could survive a little while, yeah. having been as long as you bleed out over the course of. A few minutes, I guess, but... Yeah, so this is, this is pretty horrific oh, and gross. that's a pretty like, bad way to go, man. Yeah, basically, a big mob tore apart your end of it, and they ate his liver, and there's also some reports that people stole his arm and his teeth. <laughs> and apparently, this was a thing, like, if, if someone had died or, like, someone was assassinated, people would try and, like, get souvenirs from them. Yeah. So someone stole his arm. That's a real fall from grace, isn't it? Like, yeah. real, real hero to zero sort real of story. Golden age, the yeah. troughs. To presiding over the golden age to being ripped apart on in the, the street, street yeah. and put on a stake upside down and having your liver cut out and Gross. eaten by some presumably poor people as well. They probably yeah. weren't rich. So so yeah, that's the first part of the show. The Dutch ate their prime minister one time. That's fucked up. Johan De Witt was his name if you want to look him up again. Yeah. Uh, but this is the Libertines. Uh, run, 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 which is probably he, he should have run something, something they should have done a little faster. Du lyssnar på K103, Göteborgs studentradio. Yes, that was Run, Run, Run by the Libertines. This is Ordinary Observations. I didn't know the Libertines were still making uh, tunes. I don't know either. Yeah, I mean, last you saw fucking, what was his name? Pete. What was his name? Pistol Pete. No, I mean, Pete from the Libertines, he was super obese eating as massive breakfast. You know, those like 
eat it with less like than the, half an hour and then get it for free kind of deal. Chum. Yeah, <laughs> he, he did it. He did it. He was he was unhealthy looking dude. But, Gross. You, you know, know what the Dutch ate in 1672? Pete Doherty. D- Doherty. Yeah, Doherty, yeah. Yeah. Their prime minister. Their prime minister. Yep. Yeah. Fucking. Johan. Johan. David had a terrible ending. Um, so we're going to fast forward uh, sort of what? 200 years now 220 yep, years exactly uh, this is something we wanted to talk about well I wanted to talk about in the uh, questionable sports involving the, the bat- abuse of animals the abuse of animals yeah but the Palingo Proa was um, the eel riot yes so that was a riot that broke out from a game of eel pulling which used to be a thing that the yeah. Dutch used to get involved with particularly in Amsterdam they some were beautiful paling trekken in over Amsterdam yeah paling trekken very good mate that's how it's pronounced I think. well that's yeah. how it's spelled at least yeah. um, so the paling pro or the eel riot was a riot that broke out in the Jordan spelled with two A's Jordan Jordan suburb of Amsterdam oh, Amsterdam Amsterdam <laughs> over July 25th and 26th in 1886 uh, the riot began because police had tried to break up a game of eel pulling which had recently been outlawed 26 people died in the ensuing violence <clears throat> because but people were pretty upset that they couldn't pull the eels pe- anymore people were upset so a bit of vi- a bit of backgrounds for you eel pulling or bowling second <laughs> had been a popular pastime amongst like the lower classes for a long long time Good. the the, <laughs> the idea is that people would tie you tie an eel to a rope yeah, live eel across a canal. Across a canal, so from apartment to apartment, strung up across a canal, and then you'd get in your boat and you'd row underneath, and you'd try and jump up and grab the eel, which was still very slippery and wriggling around and very, genuinely very hard to grasp onto. Obviously, yeah. Mm. So again, we were going to discuss this obscure sports involving the questionable treatment of animals, uh, but Mark wanted to save it for the bad Dutch behavior episode. Um. So I guess when the eel was tied a bit out of reach, people had to, yeah, to jump to grab it. And so because it was slippering and it was alive, very difficult. Good spectator sport because then often people would fall into the river. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Good comedy stuff. Yeah, comedy stuff. Um, sometimes they'd grab the eel and slide off. Sometimes they'd pull the eel down. Sometimes they'd pull part of the eel down. Yeah, you can understand why we wanted to put this in the animal abuse Yeah, episode. so I mean, like ripping an eel in half is pretty abusive yeah mm. um, but so the winner would receive prize money and get to take the home the eel to eat that's good yeah I mean it's better than liver from the, <laughs> the prime minister um, some winners pots were as much as six guilders uh, this would be uh, equivalent to about a week's wages apparently it's pretty hard to find an accurate value conversion from mid to late 1800s Dutch guilders to like today's euros <laughs> yeah so I'm not too confident on that but that's about what I got from yeah but that sounds that sounds a good price yeah uh, yeah yeah for sure for sure um, so eel pulling was officially outlawed by the powers that be sometime in the late 1800s due to they were actually due to animal welfare concerns actually the mm. government labeled it as a cruel public entertainment which is which is what it is yeah it's pretty accurate yeah. but the poor people they were enraged yeah they were like I don't give a fuck about the eel the week's wages on the line yeah I mean so like their lives were miserable anyway yeah I mean, they were they'd probably, well, uh, why, why would they care about the eel, yeah. essentially? Yeah. When you're, you know, when you've got starving children at home, the welfare of an eel is probably yeah. not high on your list of concerns. Rotting away in the suburbs of Amsterdam. Yeah, exactly. So, Sunday, July 25th, 1886, a game of eel pulling was started on the Lindengracht, which had uh, not yet been filled in. It's a street now. You can walk on it. 
Okay, nice. You can drive on it. Um, but so four police officers arrived and tried to break up the game. They entered one of the houses that the rope the eel was attached to. Mm-hmm. Just cut it. This didn't go down well with the spectators. Uh, evidently, the rope fell down onto this guy on the street. Yeah. Like an elderly gentleman. I mean, it's just a rope, but he was probably... Started. Yeah, exactly. So then as the police exited the house, he started beating one of them with his umbrella. Funny. Yeah, which is pretty like alpha weapon of choice. Based. <laughs> yeah. So following his initiative, uh, most of the crowd gets involved and starts attacking the officers. One of them is apparently dragged into like a basement Shit. on the street and just beaten by angered members of the public. There's a lot of mobs here. Yeah, yeah. So over the next couple hours, this turns into like a full riot. The police had to call for backup and the crowd attacked them with whatever they could get their hands on, like sticks and rocks. And they pulled up like cobblestones from the street and shit. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So the the police fought hard. Um, Apparently, like as the night cooled off, the the crowd also cooled down. It was about 10 o'clock before they really got everybody settled down and they thought that was going to be it, you know? All right, fair enough. But the next day, the angry mob returned even worse yeah exactly they had a they had a rainy night's sleep to rejuvenate themselves yeah. for another full day of rioting <laughs> good, good night of rest yeah man they were pissed they couldn't like that eel was wriggling around in the back of their minds man they were pissed off that's good <laughs> so so the angry mob advanced on the police station and the police were required to call the army again the people didn't have any guns or whatever they were just fighting with sticks and throwing rocks from their rooftops and shit like that Big bricks and stuff yeah 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 whatever they could pull up from the street whatever they could find the army uh, and the police were now armed of course they opened fire jesus 26 people were killed and over 130 were injured apparently like 2,000 people were sentenced to prison which is a lot insane yeah i mean you look at these drawings of this riot that happened well over 200 years ago and there's a few people in it huh. you know like they can't they weren't very good at drawing 2,000 people in a... But that's a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, fun fact, uh, this is the largest instance of Dutch police brutality in the 19th century. Oh. Yeah. All over the eels. Yep. They even criticized it in a French newspaper. They said, that's not good. Nope. No. Nope. They shouldn't have killed those people. Yep. Yeah. And that's the spot of eel pulling and the subsequent riots. Yep. But historians explain this right by pointing to the class divisions that existed in Amsterdam at this time. So obviously, income equality was really high, and so it makes sense the poor working classes saw this as another instance of the rich elites trying to control them yeah. and push them down. So it's got a real, like, fucking eel pullers of the world unite. You have yeah. nothing to lose, but your chain's kind of vibe to it. Now I want to throw some bricks. Yeah, I actually came across, uh, I, like, when searched eel riot amsterdam i came across a university paper titled the making of a new sexual morality in the early socialist labor movement in amsterdam written by this dude called dennis in 2001 (laughs) so so somehow somehow like eel pulling turns into a new sexual morality in the early socialist labor movement in amsterdam interesting admittedly i didn't read all 40 pages of the paper that connect these two things but you get the idea it's pretty cool um but yeah, so that's that's the eel pulling right. Yeah. Eighteen eighty six, Pellingaproa. I know I'm pronouncing that wrong, but yeah, alright. Yeah. Yeah, right. This is elephant therapy. Yeah. 
You're listening to K103 Gothenburg Student Radio. Yes, you're listening to K103 Gothenburg Student Radio. That was Elephant with Therapy, and that song went hard as shit. Yeah, that was good. Uh, this is Ordinary Observations with Jack and Mark. Tonight, we're talking about bad oh. Dutch behavior. All things needle-ons over here. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, we have just discussed some uh, eel riots, and now we're going on to the 1917 potato riots. Oh, yeah. So, 1917, the Netherlands had remained neutral in World War I. However, the br- outbreak of a massive war on the European continent meant a, m- a drastic reduction in food availability. Imports and exports basically froze of all, all common items. You can see why that would happen. Yeah. yeah. So, um, in January 1917, a bread ration was established. Mm. And obviously, this affects the poor people in society more than the rich. Sure. Classic. Yeah. <sighs> Got to break the chains. Damn. <laughs> yeah. We're also a pro-Marxist radio station. Yeah. <laughs> it should be pretty obvious. Yeah. <laughs> Just in case it wasn't clear. Yes. Yeah, so, um, and on June 28th of 1917, there's a massive shortage of potatoes and um, up to the point where they were basically running out everywhere in Europe, but specifically the Netherlands. Mm. And um, yeah, it uh, lasted for many, many months. And basically, the locals had got wind of a merchant ship docked in Preisengracht with a load of potatoes <laughs> due to be shipped out to the army. Hmm. And apparently, the potatoes were sold to both the Allies and the Central Powers. Yeah, so the, the so government... So the government was just trying to make a bit of money they, from, like, food rationing around they, Europe. They had their fat little fingers and yeah. pockets of both the uh, both the Axis and the Central Powers. That's a bit gross. But um, the Preisengracht, yeah. that's, uh, that's uh, fucking... What's her name? Anne Frank. Yeah, that's she, she, it, that's where she that's where her house is. Yeah, well, it, it wasn't her house at the time, but maybe visitors of Amsterdam have been there. Will maybe? I'm yeah, right. will, may, will mate, give us a call. Let us know if you've been to Anne Frank's place. Yeah, but um, yeah, so Anne Frank's place on the Prince and Crack. There was other cool things happened. Oh well, I shouldn't say that. Yeah, but. so uh, the Dutch government <laughs> we'll, cashing, we'll cut in, that part cashing in on the spuds. Dutch yeah. government got their. Piggies at the trough. And um, they knew that they could get better prices for the potatoes from foreign armies, so they're yeah. trying to, instead of selling to their own people. That makes, again, perfect sense. It's gross, though. Yeah. 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 So, in order to feed the families, the working women of the local neighborhoods in Amsterdam p- attempted to plunder the ship and steal the potatoes. And Based. unfortunately, the cops were there to defend it, so instead they marched to the town hall in protest. Pretty cool. Uh, based? Based local working moms of Amsterdam of 1917. Cringe cops. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, sir. Yeah. <laughs> a counselor there at the town hall said, not to worry, there'll be another another shipment in a few days. Mm. So when the potatoes arrived, they were extremely expensive and only affordable to the rich upper class. And the counselor also pointed out that there was a large shipment of rice available, but apparently they had not gone down with the working class um, husbands of 1917. Yeah. So, so the wives didn't want to buy it. No, apparently one wife suggested that she would get an earful. Uh, yeah, if she was to pass it on to her husband, I. I but fe- I, but I also feel like it's maybe not the, even their staple diet either. Yeah, I, I mean it sounds strange to us because it's like I mean potatoes or rice. Yeah, they're, they're both about equivalent, aren't they? No. In terms of like, not, not at all. In terms of spud spud supremacy. In terms <laughs> of like status of dinner. Uh, you know, like it's not like it's not like you go to a mate's house and he's got rice on. It's like fuck, bro, you're poor as shit. Where are the potatoes, bro? Yeah, but I feel like it's not. It's not substitutable as a as a carb. Anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you wouldn't just replace them or like swap them out for one for the other. But 
Yeah. If, but it, I think if that, it was plain potatoes for dinner or plain rice for dinner, I don't plain think. Plain potatoes. You reckon? Yeah, easy. Okay. Had <laughs> that for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah, so um, so in the weeks that passed, more and more of the working class populations grew extremely unhappy, hmm. and they started looting the ships that were arriving in the warehouses and the other boats in the port, looking for any kind of potatoes that were available. Just just working class people hunting around Amsterdam, <laughs> looking for the spuds. Sniffing around for the spuds. <laughs> but it got quite violent, right? Yeah, so the um, police attempted to stop the riots when they popped up, and they were often shooting up around the crowd. Yeah. Goes back to the eel riots. Because this went on for weeks, so they were yep. just popping in just raiding shops and shit and then just leaving yeah, yeah exactly mm. as soon as they got to the port and um this went on for a few weeks as mm. you said and they even brought in the army with machine guns Fuck. and um in total nine people killed and 115 people were wounded oh that's a lot yeah that's a lot for a few potatoes so there's another instance of some horrible dutch police brutality Fucking there hell man yeah. it's rife within the Christ. police dutch, dutch academy yeah, it's yep. interesting enough that only nine people were prepared to die for potatoes or the right to food. Yeah. But um, 26 people were prepared to die to the right to pull eels. I think that says a lot about the, Dol- the Dutch cultural psyche. Yeah. I mean... If that uh, doesn't uh, tell you what you need to know about the Dutch, well, I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know what will. No, I don't know what will either. But, I mean... Yeah, so, of course, just calling it potato riot sounds funny, but this is actually quite horrible. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, it's basically extremely poor people in almost famine in mm. the capital city of the Netherlands. Yeah, and their government selling what they should be eating. Onto, off. like, basically armies. Yeah, yeah, to make a good profit. I mean, I mean, yeah. I, I understand that yeah, so everybody was fucking poor at that point. Yeah. So, mm. I mean, the food problems there from 1917 would only continue when the Spanish flu also hit Europe, mm. which killed thousands of um, the weak and hungry population of Europe. Yikes. Yeah, so it's a tough time. Interestingly enough, Sweden also had a potato famine and riot in 1917 too. Really? Yeah. Swedish people would never. Nah. No. No, I, I don't know how much rioting, but definitely oh. the lack of potatoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was potatoes. Actually, interesting about the Spanish flu, though. Yeah, what do the Dutch call the Spanish flu? Because the Spains, Spaniards don't call the Spanish flu the Spanish flu. I think just influenza? I don't know. No, I, I feel I, like it's one of those things where it's like the English call the Spanish flu the Spanish flu. The Spaniards call the Spanish flu the French flu. Oh, really? The French call it the German flu. The Germans call it the... It's like, it's like a big train all across Europe <laughs> of just neighbors blaming each other for that shit. Yeah. Uh, but I think it did originate in Spain. I don't know. Is this word Spanish? El Parador? Yes. It sounds Spanish. All right. This next song is El Parador y Perferien. Har du en idé till ett radioprogram eller en podd? Vill du lära dig att producera ljudproduktioner? Gå med i K103 Göteborgs studentradio och lär dig av oss. Maila intresse på info at k103.se. Vi hörs. Yes, this is K103 Gothenburg Student Radio. You're listening to Ordinary Observations with Jack and Mark. You can find us over at Instagram at Ordinary Observations and all our shows on Spotify. Damn, that was rehearsed well, bro. Thank you, man. I can't believe you just did that off the cuff. <laughs> uh, what are we talking about? We were talking about potato riots. In general. No, generally just crazy things in the Netherlands. Yeah, right. But okay, and in, and specifically yeah. the Dutch potato riots of, of 19... 1917. Beautiful. Um, okay, chronologically moving right along then. Yeah, quite a bit further down the line. Well, yeah, I mean 80... 80 years. No, 70 years. 1997. Yep. 
Um, we're talking the Battle of Beverwijk. Yes. Is that how you pronounce it? Oh, it must be. I mean, shout out to the Dutch listeners. Let us know. Yeah, shout out to the Dutch listeners. Hope uh, you're still listening. Should after we apologise? No. Nah. Um, <laughs> so the Battle of Beverwijk <laughs> was an infamous clash between two groups of football hooligans in 1997. Uh, on the side of the A9 highway running through Beverwijk, which is obviously where it gets the name from, uh, just a little bit northwest of Amsterdam. <laughs> Shout out to Amsterdam. Um, Battle of Beverwijk sounds gangster as hell. Uh, they were fighting on the ro- side of the road, though, which sounds pretty juvenile. Yeah, genuinely, when I when I when we wrote this down, I thought it was a battle in like the 1800s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It sounds cool. It sounds cool, man. It sounds like there should be like Not like just some fucking lorry trucks. No, but between like two great houses or something. Yeah, yeah. Or, the House of Orange. Yeah, the House of Orange. Yeah, and then the fucking who were the other the Hollandia or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but so they were just scrapping it out on the side of the road. So the background of this is uh, the two belligerents in this battle with a i'm gonna say ajax because my uncultured new zealand upbringing would lead me to do so how do you say that again ajax ajax hooligan football club f side and the feyenoord feyenoord <laughs> hooligan club scf uh, feyenoord shout, I- shout out ryan and adrian both big uh um ajax supporters oh really yeah okay so ajax is based in amsterdam right yeah and feyenoord is based in rotterdam yeah the club from rotterdam apparently dutch football hooliganism um was actually some of the worst in europe at this time yeah it's pretty gnarly actually still Mm. still is fairly hectic yeah but back in the good days pretty really bad and this is the biggest derby in the country yeah so between these two clubs and eindhoven Yep. It's like the commonly the top PS3 three. Eindhoven, yep. Yeah, yeah, the top three to win their competition, whatever that's called. I don't know why they chose to fight on the side of the highway in a town not only outside of both of those places, but not even in between either of those places. Just seems random. Or was yeah. it organized, maybe? Yeah, well, maybe that's... Yeah, okay, we'll get to that. But that's a good thought, actually. It's something that hadn't occurred to me. You just but thought they I'm just not a, pulled up. I'm not a big hooligan fight organizer, so... Um, they had previously fought alongside another highway, the A10, a few, I guess a few months earlier or some Wait, point. You said it's the A9? Yeah. Yeah, so they're just ticking off the highways. Yeah, okay, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. Uh, at this time, the agreement was for each group to arrive with 50 men and have an all-out brawl. Yeah, this sounds extremely organized. Yeah, yeah, big yeah. big deal. So Feyenoord, however, brought 75 dudes. Oh, oh. And so... Subs. Yeah, the AF, the, <laughs> the IX F side was rather outnumbered. Uh, this resulted in F side being forced to flee, and so the fight was not particularly good. Bit mm. of a letdown, bit of a disappointment for all. Apparently, IX F side had been known for cheating in this way before, so they were kind of famous for like, oh, bring a few extra guys. Ah, oh, yeah. Yeah, like, I come oh, in the bus. Yeah, we'll say at 50, but we'll have 60 or whatever. Uh, and so, in a bit of a, I guess, hooligan sort of arms race, yeah. uh, Fire Nord had brought 75, <laughs> but <laughs> apparently this time F side IX were true to their word and they did show up with 50, but. They probably regretted that because... Yeah, when they have, like, half as many extra people. Yeah, yeah. So that was the lead-up to the second, like, proper, more deadly event. The mm. actual Battle of... Beaverwijk. Beaverwijk. <laughs> so, March 23rd, 1997. Feyenoord was scheduled to play AZ Alkmaar later in the day. <laughs> well, spell with two A's, bro. You Alkmaar. To, you got to drag it out. Alkmaar. F-side is estimated to have had approximately, like, 150 guys at this point. And SCF Feyenoord had possibly twice as many by oh, es- estimates. They just keep bringing. Yeah, yeah. So they're a popular, popular place to be. Um, they were firm. Is it called firm? I think it's yeah, firm. Yeah, firm, firm. They were armed with baseball bats and iron bars and tasers and knives and fucking hammers and all that good stuff. Nice. Um, 
but it's it's worthy again to note that Feyenoord was scheduled to play AZ Alkmaar. The two clubs weren't even playing each other that day. <laughs> they just turned they up just, for a scrap. They organized a, a total third-party event <laughs> yeah. to have a fight. Somewhere not even related to either of those places. So that's something. That's good. It goes to show that the dedication, really. Yeah. Um, police knew a fight was going to take place, but they didn't know where it would be. Yeah. So obviously the organizers, they talk to each other to organize the fight, but they keep it all hush-hush until the last minute. Using a novel technology for the time cell phones oh that's true yeah Super 1997 early. yeah yeah so early, early not many football hooligans would have had cell phones in 1997 i guess i, I kind of got the get the impression that it's just like one in each firm has the telephone good enough yeah well yeah i mean whatever but so <laughs> so the fight only lasted for about five minutes or so before f side is forced to retreat due to heavy casualties again they, well again they ask it because they got like half the guys gotta go back and regroup yeah so we can play it out like an 1800s battle. So it only takes about five minutes for people to get fucked up when you've got like knives and tasers and bars and extra cavalry and baseball bats and shit. <laughs> but unfortunately, a high-ranking quote-unquote elder statesman of the F-side firm named Carlo Picconi had been killed by a blunt force trauma to the head in that five minutes. In that five minutes, holy shit. Or, or yeah whatever whatever, yeah. whatever. a Short few time. minutes yeah yeah, yeah. Um, apparently Piccany was a bit of an like it says he was an older statesman here and his best sort of hooligan days were behind him yeah but he wanted to uh, set a strong example for the younger boys who were just getting into it good probably something he the would the dad figure probably, yeah good. exactly the peer Eric of the hooliganism <laughs> exactly. if you will so um, probably something he came to forget or came to regret sorry I guess he would have forgotten it too if it was blunt force head trauma oof oof um, many of the cars which had been used to transport the hooligans to the scene of the fight were also overturned and set on fire. By the fire not supporters, I guess. I mean, yeah, I guess so, yeah. If you ran, they away, ran away, yeah. yeah. I guess they didn't set their own cars on fire. <laughs> but, I mean, <laughs> stranger things have happened. So. Uh, police arrived and made 28 arrests over the following few hours. SCF member Leonardo Panton was convicted of the murder of uh, that bloke, Carlo Picconi. Yeah. Uh, so after all this went down, there seemed to be a bit of regret between the two sides. I don't think they actually wanted anybody to die and to be that bloody. Which is strange considering they were armed with knives and things like those. Those are pretty tasers and bats. They're pretty death-inducing <clears throat> weapons. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they all you know. There's a bit of regret, and then each side sort of blaming themselves for like that. There's a lot of infighting in each group. Yeah. About what happened. Yeah, for either like killing the guy. Or for not protecting him enough during the fight, that kind of thing. Obviously, the one person who gets sent to prison is pretty unfortunate considering there's like 350 dudes or whatever. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. he wasn't the only one to be attacking this guy. Yeah, true. So th- there's a whole lot of finger pointing and, and blaming each other for that it kind of shit. seems also a bit dodgy. Yeah, I mean, they're also like talking about, oh, this person admitted to the cops that that guy was here. So uh, yeah. that it all sort of falls apart a bit. But so, yeah, following this, the Dutch Football Federation and the Dutch police worked pretty hard to clean up the sort of hooliganism space uh, within Dutch football. The following year, the away section of the crowd was empty at the derby match. So, so like, they, they couldn't even be there. Yeah, they didn't allow the away fans. It was just the home fans, which is interesting to like, they wouldn't just fill it up. They would just have it empty. Yeah, I guess they have to. Um, like, there's too much of a risk. No, but I mean, like, they wouldn't just fill it up with home fans. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, so, they make a deliberate Like, they point wanted to make a statement. That, yeah. Of having half the stand empty, so yeah. that, yeah. So, they did that. Uh, the away section of the crowd was empty at the derby match. Tensions flared up again in 2009 
And so they did the same thing again. They said, no, fuck yeah, no, no away fans at the game. Okay. And uh, they actually extended that ban for five years. Okay. And as the article that I was desperately reading, typing this information this afternoon, was written in 2016, as of 2016, it was still no away fans at Ajax or, Ajax or the Rotterdam uh, Feyenoord games. I don't know if that's changed in the eight years since 2016, but... I wouldn't know. Yeah, I wouldn't know either. We can ask our Dutch followers. We could do that mm. if they hadn't all tuned off by now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that's interesting. Yeah. Um, I think that's all we've got on the Battle of Beverwijk. Football hooliganism. Football hooliganism. Interesting stuff. Goes pretty hard. You ever been involved in any sort of football hooliganism? No, have you? A little you bit know of, anyone? Yeah, never, never gotten involved in a little just tasering brawl, brawl outside the stadium or anything. No, you? No, never lit for any flares in the. No, in the, no. no, me neither. All right, that's a uh, battle of Bayvrevike football hooliganism. This next song's this next song is by Romy, which is also a the name of a very Dutch friend of mine. So shout out Romy, she's on my mind. Yes, this is Ordinary Observations with Jack and Mark. We just covered the Battle of Beverwijk in our nice, insane Dutch things. Golden Age. Of the Dutch Age. Oh, and, uh, the Golden Age of Dutch hooliganism. We just take a second to appreciate a nice Dutch word. Arbeidsongeschiktheidsverzekering. Yeah, that's a good one. Yep. <laughs> anything else yeah so we can uh, <laughs> we can move on to the uh the project x riot okay so we went from 1997 with the battle of Vike to the project x riot in Haren in 2014 mm-hmm. yes the project x riot it was a chaotic mess in the small t- dutch town of Haren where a 16 year old accidentally put a public invite on facebook to her birthday party and 4,000 people showed up, uh, including 600 riot police. <laughs> so this is a small town. Do ta- they count as party attendees? Or? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> so this is a, a small town of 19,000 people, and basically this poor girl um, forgot to make her event a private event on Facebook. Yeah, I think she had done it so that a couple friends of friends could invite. Oh, sorry, a couple yeah, of friends could invite some friends It was friends. basically open. Yeah, yeah it was, anyone. You remember back in those days when that would happen? Yeah. It was like open invite Facebook things. It's, it's a mess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They seem to have cleaned up the mechanism a little bit now. Yeah, you yeah. definitely cannot just invite Don't randomers. think so. I don't no. think it works like that. And um, so eventually, because it was so open, 30,000 people at some point were invited to this mm. event mm. on Facebook. And um, yeah, so they, they knew in about a month in advance that this was going to be a fucking yeah. shit show. Yeah, so she had created the thing for her birthday in a month. And yeah, a, and then and then they knew it was going to be a shit show with like two weeks to go. Oh. So the whole family left the town. Yeah, well, they deleted the event. Yeah, they deleted the event. They left the town for like a week and oh. already people had been like printing flyers. Yeah. They had made billboards about this <laughs> really? person's like, like house oh, party. Oh, no. Yeah, so already they knew that shit was going to go and down. And then like other people created other Facebook yeah, events. for so, this day. Yeah, yeah. apparently, yeah, there was like a few people from just like people from fucking apparently this one one from Christchurch New Zealand yeah just like this dickhead was like <laughs> I'm gonna bully this Dutch teenager <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he was like he was like 28 or something he's like <laughs> not, bro not a good look for yeah, you bro, dude <laughs> get a fucking life man yeah. <laughs> apparently the dad of the girl had sent him a message like 
directly and said like hey this is actually like this is a big problem for us we really needed to get this under control can you please delete this event yeah and he's like no no chance go fuck yourself yeah so there was like a channel for um news covering of it in the uk and, and it started out kind of sweet to be honest like you have like 200 300 people standing outside the house i mean the family is not there yeah yeah but they're just random dutch strangers singing happy birthday in the street to this <laughs> that's quite cute yeah i was gonna say Important to note, odd singings of happy birthday have appeared far too often yeah, on this podcast. Yeah, we got Dennis Rodman, we yeah. got... Got the Dutch in the street. Yeah. Yeah. And... Um, Who's next? Could be anyone. Yeah, could be anyone. Send in your suggestions. Or your birthday. Mm. Or <laughs> your birthday, yeah. We'll sing <laughs> we'll it out to you. sing on the pod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... But the problem is then just heaps of hooligans turn up all absolute pissed on the beers. Oh. Yeah, and they they go around just destroying this town. Flipping cars. Yeah, they flip cars, torch the cars, torch shops, smash Mm -hmm. up shops. And, like, it's kind of sad. There's, like, all these elderly neighbors in this little suburb where they live, like, a week in advance, taking down all the lampposts and all the street signs and all the fences so they don't destroy them. And then on the news, you just see, like, a lot of 16-year-old Dutch people ripping up lampposts. That's just... That's just not on, mate. No, mate. And then the police turn up and they're just ripping ripping out lampposts and throwing them and throwing <laughs> bottles at them. Riot shields and shit. Yeah. It's a mess. Oh. Yeah, that's the Project well, X That seemed to happen a fair bit in the like early to mid-2010s, eh? Yeah, for sure. And there's definitely this interview with this like super smashed Dutch guy. He's like, yeah, we love the Facebook party. <laughs> <laughs> we love the Facebook party. Yeah. We're just here for a good time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that was the Project X ride. Oh, that's Project X ride. This is borderline yeah. by gold gold. This is borderline by gold gold. <laughs> yes, that was gold gold borderline. You're listening to Ordinary Observations with Jack and Mark. We've run through a laundry list of terrible dutch behavior this evening if you want to hear more of our laundry lists of terrible behaviors you can go to the spotify at ordinary observations um and of course we are live on k103 gothenburg student radio on wednesdays at eight o'clock in the evening and one last thing before we go up the all blacks this weekend yes big rugby world cup final against long time rivals rivals south africa the yes. greatest rivalry in rugby up the north Tanifa and up leicester Fanganuku. You've just heard a podcast version of a radio show by K103 Gothenburg Student Radio. You'll find all our shows at k103.se. Follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Stay tuned.